Hello friends, and welcome back to the Multiversity Manga Club. It's the middle of the month, which means it's time for the One Piece Club, which means that in addition to me and Emily, hello, you've got Zach back again. Hey guys. So today we are going to be talking about the first half of the Any Slobby arc. Uh, so we're going to be covering chapters 375 through 398. As we uh, mentioned in the previous episodes, any Slobby and Water 7 kind of form like a kind of mega arc. So this is like the first half of Any Slobby, but it's kind of the beginning of the second half of that kind of larger arc. It's like the second half of Water 7. It's, it's connected to Water 7. Yeah. It's not in Water 7, but some people consider it to be part of that arc. And I mean, it just makes sense. It's it, like, it makes more sense story-wise thinking of it as one thing. Right. Even though Any Slobby is a different place. Right. It's Yeah. Water 7 connects there via the train. So. And it's it's still like the continuation of the same plot threads, the same right. characters. Ex- exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when it starts, like not everyone has arrived at any lobby. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're not at Water Seven. They're in yeah. between. Yeah. <laughs> one in, might call it a state of purgatory. The train, the yeah. ghost train, like the one from Final Fantasy Three, or from uh, Mystery Train from Adventure yep. Time. Adventure Time. And and there were sure a lot of weird folks on that train. There are a lot of train stories in general. <laughs> trains yeah. are good. Something to, I, something to consider yeah. before this podcast. Trains are a fun set piece. Yeah. In fact, I just played a train level in a Trails of Cold Steel game. Oh, and that was fun. That sounds great. Because you know how fun it is to like go from car to car and have fights? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, they're, they're a video game designer's dream. In that oh, regard. yeah. And there's like a really good one in Silent Hill uh, 3. Like, I mean, it's like... It's a cool, it actually is sort of a cool set piece for a game, I think, yeah. like yeah. more so than, um, I mean, I mean, obviously for this manga, it was good, um, but yeah, games, you could do some fun stuff with it, especially, but so yeah, here we are at Eni's Lobby. Did, now, yeah, all that talk about trains, there isn't uh, much time on the train. No, they just basically get, <laughs> we, I mean, we, we got all the train content last episode. <laughs> we got all, sorry for the train lovers out there. Yeah. We, uh, the rocket man got to... Eddie's Lobby. Um, and something I noted was that it's called, like, it, it says it's always day there. And I never figured out why that was yet. I don't know. I don't know if that's explained later. But in what we read this time, it was not explained why it's always day at Eddie's Lobby. It's something weird about the how, how the planet that One Piece is set on. It's, oh. like, it's like orbit and... Um, Oh, I actually don't know something. You're making a face. No, like... but I, sorry, this just reminded me of something I want to bring up later because we get to see a cosmological model of supposedly what the One Piece universe looks like, which makes me wonder many things. Hmm. But um, later on this. But anyway, you were saying it's just like the angle that, I mean, I, I, I'm I, actually I, was, really I was just making a BS just, joke. You're just bullshitting. Okay. Uh, yeah, about, you know, <laughs> just the way that it orbits its sun. It and... could be it, though. It could be. It, it, <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, that is There's a no real world phenomenon where there are parts yeah. of the world that have very little <laughs> nighttime. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could just be where it is, but it doesn't seem that far from Water 7. And from what I understand, <laughs> Water 7 had night. So, I mean. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it also, it also um, part of it, it's, it's weirdly sort of, the geography is weird. Like, there's a big hole in the ocean there. <laughs> It's like a big Marianas trench that just kind of it's, it's, plummets. It's like in the climactic scene of <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. 
the and, like, only the good big, part when like the big yeah. yeah you know hole opens up in the sea yeah. which is a cool set piece yeah. like i miss when like that's when blockbusters could be like it wasn't good but like it was bad in a way that was like kind of fun Unlike now, where like the the blockbusters now that are like aren't great are just kind of like well most of them aren't great, but it's just kind of bland whatever action movies, aka like pretty much all Marvel stuff. As opposed to the but, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, you know what I mean. Like Pirates did some at least Pirates three. I mean Pirates four and five are like unwatchable, but three at least was like crazy and bad in a fun way. I think, but sure, yes, I, I wouldn't still wouldn't recommend it, and I don't think it's good. But <laughs> that's it. But also uh, the the whole like which we'll, we get into this a bit later, so I'm jumping ahead. But the the mechanics of how the kind of like triangle that is Annie's lobby, Marine headquarters, and Impel Down, mm-hmm. and how that like mm-hmm. whirlpool yeah. works, all of that is kind of difficult to wrap your brain around as well. It's, even when they try yeah. to explain it to you, so the the mechanics of a lot of the things in like the next 100 200 or so chapters are are it it's a little weird it's a little scatterbrained um i think i i I understand the different parts it's like okay you get judged at any's lobby Uh uh-huh any's lobby is the judicial island it's like the the, lobby it's the judicial branch of the government yeah the lobby you show up show up and then from there you go through the gates to impel down or marineford i'm assuming like marineford's more like political prisoners you get there's that sengoku sengoku's like basically the he's like the macarthur of the one piece world i guess like he's not the head but he's like the top military guy right yeah and then um impel down is like um is just the jail yeah it's um like the ultimate jail it's just it's like very (laughs) weird though even just like thinking about you if you like think about it as like three places on the ocean but you have to go through a gate to be able to get to either one and i, I know it's like I, could i not just sail well, around the gate <laughs> well i think it might be a thing well so fandom explains this a little bit i think it's fandom somebody somebody high up there explains that um there are the neptunians are really populous there yeah which are the big sea monsters and the they say the world government has a way to pacify them so they have a way to get through those gates and like it seems like like the calm belt thing where like you have to sail a certain way around the one piece world because otherwise it's like kind of not navigable unnavigable non whatever non-navigable and uh you're you're at the mercy of these huge sea monsters otherwise if you don't sort of follow the prescribed way that most people go so that's that's like, I mean, it sounds weird and I'm sure like realistically there might be other ways to do it, but I'm willing to accept that as the reason why you have to do things a certain way in this uh, fiction sure, world. Sure, definitely, you know? yeah. It's, not not saying that you're being like too strict about no, it. No, no, I'm just, yeah, yeah, it's just like very funny. I, I kind of really feel the same way like it, until like One Piece drew an actual map of like trying to imagine what the calm belt and like the red line and everything looks like. Oh man, it seems like a fool's errand. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but like, but... <laughs> when you look at it, it it kind of makes sense. But just like imagining it and how it all right. like fits together is very right. It, Oda's just he's he's the master. Too big brain. But it's so cool. It just goes. Um, like you see yeah. the images of like this giant gate 
just that is cool yes yeah. it's very visually good yeah it's yeah i love it just like a gate in the sky just like uh the doors in the in the air that one of the characters makes <laughs> yeah so so before we get to the flashback which i think is the big sort of like heavy hitter of this part, that, that that's the meat of the meat of it i want to talk about a couple things that happened before that and right. the first thing is zach you alluded to this a couple times i think and i think maybe like in the one of the last two episodes one of the last two or three one piece episodes is that we get something like power levels in this one, but I don't think it's taken 100% seriously. I think it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek. That's the sense I yes. get. Probably because it's literally never mentioned again. <laughs> it's it's CP9's like own way to ju- sort of like um, inside baseball um, power level rankings. It's, and... It feels very Ginyu Force. Like, it feels like... <laughs> Like when you get to Namek and everyone has their scouters and we're learning all this stuff about power oh. levels and it's like oh, if, it's like if Toriyama had just never mentioned power levels again after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like so I, I highly recommend Dragon Ball Z Kai. Walter and I are watching that and it's like God, it's so addicting and good. Um it's it's like it's even better than you could imagine. Like, like you think like, Oh, that sounds kind of fun. It's like, no, it's like, you got to, you just keep watching and watching. Cause they, they really, it's really like the best, maybe one of the best ways to consume Dragon Ball Z. It is. It, I've only watched, I think the first two seasons worth. Um, but you're right. It is extremely yeah. good. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Um, but at any rate, through this, um, power level scene, we also get a couple more CP nine people. Um, I, I'm not really sure what to say about them. They're also very weird. Um, and I'm not sure why they stayed behind. I guess they didn't need everybody to go to Water 7. Well, at least they thought they didn't. They thought they didn't. So we get this guy named Fukuro, who looks like a big Muppet. Um, with a, like, uh, he has a zipper, zipper mouth. And there's, like, no reason for that. Yeah, he's really cool. He's the one that does the power level rating. He's, like, their punching bag. They, like, all fight him as soon as they get in because... <laughs> CP9, once they arrive, they take Robin and Frankie up to where Spandam is in the Tower of Law. Well, he's got the zipper because he's rude to people. Oh, well, yeah, no, That's but he, I like, assume is the he like zips it. And he's yeah, like, it's not very effective. That's the joke. He also like leaks information a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They talk yeah, about him. He's rude and he, he's a gossip. He gossip, and it's funny yeah. because he has a zipper mouth. Um, so there's that guy. Um, there's this guy named Jabra who's like a. I don't really know. I mean, he just seems like sort of a martial artist. We don't know much about him yet. Well, it's implied he has a devil fruit power, uh, which we haven't we haven't really seen it. We see like the shadow of it. And then there's a guy named um, God. I hope that I say this right. Yoyoi, who's like a samurai, just like a samurai, as they say in the One Piece opening. The pirate rat. And uh, his thing is that he he um, he keeps trying to commit uh, seppuku, but. He, uh, he, he keeps using iron body, iron body so he can't so he can't quickly. stab himself. <laughs> it is very funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny because you hear him say iron like off screen. I guess like just so, like oh you know I, I must do this iron body. Oh <laughs> can't do it. It's like well yeah I see. So so there's that that silliness and um, yeah they all they all meet up and sort of exchange information and uh, Kaku and Khalifa get um, devil fruits. We, um, uh, Spandam sort of gives them, uh, offers them to the two, I guess, there that, that didn't have one. Which yet. serves as a reminder that Kaku just looks like that. Kaku just looks like that. Yeah. He doesn't, he's <laughs> it's not, not related to like any powers or whatever. No, he just has a nose like that. I mean, yeah. Looks like a puppet. 
it was cute. Um, yeah, and we learn a little bit. This I think this is the first time it's explicitly said that devil fruits you can only eat one. Excuse me, you can only eat one, and if you eat another one, you die. Um, you can't have two, which that's interesting. I wonder if we'll ever meet anybody that has two or more devil fruit powers. That would be kind of crazy. That would be really that would weird. Be, be um, yeah, and so I don't think we actually see what hap- what their powers are yet, but we see them eat them. And it's like a banana. I know Kaku's is a banana, and then or a bunch of bananas, and Khalifa's is like a pear or something. Just they, I mean, there's only so many fruits, I guess, out there. Most of them just kind of look like melons or pears. Yeah, <laughs> um, just vaguely fruit. Yeah, they, or they kind of look like Yoshi's, um, Yoshi's Story fruits a little bit. Oh, yeah. Like um sort of um with some like exaggerated patterns on them they all sort of have this weird like interconnected uh almost like a sewing pattern or something on them and we also we're reminded that devil fruits taste bad as well so there's that um and then outside there's this the continued fighting the straw hats like basically bust onto the island with the, Fra- with the Frankie uh, crew helping them. Frankie crew. Rocket Man, like, goes through the, the gate and, like, crashes into the, the island. Um, Luffy Very goes good. ahead. Of course. You know, and then... There's a little, like, joke about, like, oh, we need to come up with a plan or whatever, and then he's already, like, you know, well on his way. Right. So, um, yeah, off they go. Um, there's kind of a cool scene where we find out about these two giants that are guarding Eni's lobby. Right. Kashi and Oimo. And it's, it's, it's interesting, sort of the little throwbacks that like things you didn't think would be important at all are sort of, I would say pretty organically um, kind of uh, mixed into the story here. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, the giants, basically what happens is that these giants work for the world government because they were told that if they did, they would reveal the, the government would like free their chiefs who were lost for a long time. And we're like, right. hmm. We've heard of two chiefs giants, and and so Usopp, I'm sorry, Sniper King, gets there and like he's like, hey, wait a minute, like you know, as these giants are fighting them, he's like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, well, they, it's after they've beaten the they've, giants, yeah, and, and like kind it, of... and the giants are like, you know, oh, you know, the classic, classic, like you know, bad guy. They're like, oh, thing. they're crying, they're upset, misunderstood, like the misunderstood bad guy, like, oh, if only you know, I only did this because. Blah, they blah, they said that if we served them for a hundred years, they would they would free our chiefs. Right. Because they said the government had them, and then. And they specifically mentioned that these chiefs were like previously like engaged El- in like battle. A battle on Elbath, yeah, or uh, sorry, not on Elbath, oh. but somewhere. Yeah. They're from Elbath. They're from Elbath. Um, and then of course Usopp's like, wait a minute. Uh, would they have been happen to be named? Uh, Dory and Bragi. And they're like, whoa, how do you know? And Usopp explains to them what they look like. And so it's it's beyond all doubt that he's that he would actually not so, be lying in this case. And so yeah. so this kind of cool, a very Usopp thing to do. Usopp was always interested in the in Elbeth and the Giants. Yeah. So he like stands so on their shoulders as they, yeah. as they uh fight the um some of the really lame uh guards of Emmy's Emmy's lobby, I guess. Yeah, say. kind of kind of the weakest <laughs> but, uh I mean there's the... I think it's okay. I think it's kind of. I think it's kind of um, intentional that yeah, like, there's yeah. a lot of them that are just sort of like whatever. There, there's the guys, guys who have like the two swords and are riding dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a ver- the the dogs are very cute. The there's, dogs are cute. There's there's like when they show like the page of 
there's there's like one dog that's like looking at the others and has like kind of like a silly face or something. He's, well, there's actually an SBS about that later. Yes. It's like, what were the dogs talking about? And Oda goes into what they were actually saying. Or just makes it up, rather, which is what SBS is. Yeah. Him just making up stuff to make kids happy. Sometimes it's even is... making up what SBS stands for, which is always fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know what that means. I guess it's a Japanese acronym. I think so, I mean, yeah. That's an acronym that means like questions corner. Um, so, yeah, well, we see a couple characters. I mean, there's this like three-headed judge, three-headed Baskerville. <laughs> <laughs> which like kind of just looks like the guy from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah. Basically it's just the, the knights who say knee. That's basically what it is. I mean, yeah. And it's like, it's sort of like an Alice in Wonderland. Well, well not the knights who say knee. It's the, the giant in the Sir Robin story. Three headed giant. Oh, wait a minute. I thought, no, okay. The, the, the head knight doesn't have three heads. So there's only one. Oh shit. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I couldn't remember. <laughs> Well, I thought got, that was combined. It's it's got the very good uh, joke of like you know the name is like left right left Baskerville, right Baskerville and Central Freeway. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> it's it's very, really it's very good. It's I like I like this character actually. Like I think it's stupid, but like they don't they don't overuse the character. He appears like three t- three or four times. And yeah. He doesn't get like a big huge battle set piece. Um, I think I think Frankie's dudes like take him down which is yeah. appropriate um who are some of the other well we do see a little bit of um so luffy and bluno fight a little bit this is this is good i think this is a good fight this is yes. yeah i think um, this stands out as like maybe one of the more is, memorable one piece fights I, I agree um this is like an underrated fight i feel um it because i mean it is interesting because it, it, it mostly is just like Luffy's badass, isn't he? Like he he like learned all of like the first time he fought Bluto, he got his ass kicked. He he couldn't keep up with his speed. He but, but all like of his it, powers. But like any shonen hero, after losing once, he learns. Yeah, and so Luffy learned to shave, which is like the really fast, like basically instant teleportation. Not really, but you just move really fast, and some of the other abilities. And um, yeah. particularly, we- he gets his first. Um, I don't know if you would necessarily call it like a power up or a transformation mm-hmm. here. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, power up. Yeah. Um, which you again, have- drawing the like Dragon Ball parallels, it's um, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of um, it's like Kaioken esque. It's like a Kaioken yeah. more than a Super more Saiyan. than Super Saiyan. Yeah. yeah, it's so it's Gear Two, second gear. Um, cause he tells, of course he tells Bluno, he's like, I can't beat you like this, you know, <laughs> classic. classic. Yeah. And so, so good. Bluno was, Bluno was using his powers really, um, just sort of interesting ways, like using the doors to go into the ground. I know I talked about how much I love his power. He, he does, does. He like makes like a revolving a door of Luffy's face. That's so revolving good. Door. Such a Very good visual gag. It was really good though. Oh yeah. And, um, I'm sorry to say that the Dordora fruit does not do shit against Gear 2. Luffy goes hard in the paint against um, Bluno and kind of just kicks his ass in a couple chapters. But I I think, like, before that, there was just, like, the fight was just, um, you know, like, more memorable than I was expecting it to be. Sort of like, um, it was like, why did Bluno, why did Bluno go out there in the first place? He's just like, eh, I just feel like fighting this guy. And the rest of CP9 were like, oh, yeah, he's out there. Right. Don't, don't fuck up, Bluno. Whoops, you fucked up. 
<laughs> so they watch, uh, CP9 watches as this happens, and uh, we get more of Spandam being an idiot, uh, being really nasty to Robin and, and Frankie. And we learn a little bit more. Okay, so this sort of, um, some of the things that Spandam says make the previous arc, what was happening there, make a little bit more sense. So he basically, there's a couple lines and it's easy to miss. He basically orchestrated the whole thing. He found out that Robin was coming to Water 7 and then had CP9 apprehend her and do all this stuff to basically get his hands on the weapon. Right. And that's sort of what was the overarching um like motivation for capturing Robin in water seven. Cause I was like, wait, was all this, cause it all felt very opportunistic. Right. Like they never yeah. water, they never said like, we knew you were going to be in water seven. Like they just kind of approached Robin and like, we're like, Hey, you better come with us or we, we know who you are kind of thing. And it didn't, it didn't really like, it made some kind of sense, but it didn't really all come together until I was like, Oh, Spandam, of course, Spandam found out about it. And then of course he wanted Frankie too, because uh, also Frankie messed his face up. And he knows that he has the, the blueprints and that Robin can activate the weapon. So that's two birds with one stone. Spandam, the idiot, or orchestrated this, basically. Um, and actually did a pretty good job of it, um, all things considered, of getting them there anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's going to succeed, but probably not, since there's like 700 more chapters of One Piece, but at least. Um, so yeah, um, is there anything else like pre-flashback we want to talk about um there's that really great scene of like all of the straw hats right that's right before the flashback yeah wait you mean the getting up on top of the like crenellations on the... yeah yeah oh yeah and and staring across the yeah chasm. Bas basically everybody shows up and they're like you know no robin we're not gonna leave you you know she's yeah she's doing the whole you know oh, she's like no i I'm, I I'm too dangerous to have around only bad things follow me yeah such and such but but yeah that is a very good page and a very uh memorable one yeah uh, it, it it has a lot of the same energy as that uh, page from the end of uh, Alabasta, mm -hmm. um, uh, where they have if, the like armbands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the X, the, the X's. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's right. It sort of harken. It does harken back to that because everyone's like lined up, and it's sort of a show of the solidarity with right and friendship. And yeah, so they all eventually get up there. They love solidarity and friendship. <laughs> They love that Solidarity Forever song as sung by Pete Seeger. Um, yeah, so they all get up there uh, one way or another. Some people take longer than others. Like Zoro gets lost a couple times. Usopp is just thrown up there. Usopp gets like thrown up there by, by the giants. giants. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They throw him Which up. Is why, in that, in that uh, spread, you know, it shows them all like standing there epically. And then like at the bottom, it shows their like faces and like Usopp looks like fucked up. Yeah, because he... There's a really great drawing of him, like, kind of going through the air like an arrow. And he's yeah. shaped sort of like a triangle. Um, it's it's very funny. And so this uh, Spandam, like, sort of taunts Robin and says, you know, I'm going to call a buster call on these guys. And we kind of learned what that, we actually know exactly what that is. But this, like, kind of triggers sort of a, like, tra trauma in Robin. And we actually, this kind of serves as the transition moment to go back you know as to why this is so traumatic right and we, we finally we finally get find out who nico robin is we don't find out when she got a devil fruit 
We don't. And I think that's fine. That's fine. That wasn't important it, to yeah, the story. Yeah, it starts with her um, as a kid already having she has a double fruit um, now power for some and, people, you know, being, like, treated by as a monster by yeah. uh, people, particularly, like, the kids of her village she's in. Admittedly, her power, if you were to see it, uh, would be very scary Good to freaky. see. Pretty body horror. In fact, I think, I think it's kind of um, throughout the series, I think a lot of people are, like, a little freaked out by her ability. Like, I think, especially, like, Law, every time Law sees her, he's like, oh my god, what? <laughs> and, like, just because some of the things she's able to do later are very, like, she can actually, she can sort of, like, make body doubles later, basically. Um, yeah, I actually forgot that she could do that, and it comes up, cool. like, pretty recently, even, like, in yeah. One Piece, and it's like, oh, yeah, she she can do that. Right, <laughs> right. She's got some pretty freaky abilities and especially like as a kid i mean you know so as a kid you know these kids see her sprouting arms on her back and and like hands out of her arm and they're like yeah calling her a freak and a monster and throwing rocks at her and things and it's a little bit like a fairy tale beginning like a sort of a cinderella story almost like you know robin is being missing mom's missing she lives with her aunt yeah. Some extended family. Yeah, um, she's like making uh, her... like this child prodigy. Um, yeah, but she's misunderstood. She's... Yeah, she's been made to like clean the house, which reminds me. I mean, that was like sort of the Cinderella thing. Like she's made to wash the dishes, and if you notice in that some of those panels, you see her using her powers to help. She like puts the dishes away with her extra hands. It's cute. Her um, aunt, her aunt uh, is much more favorable towards her own daughter. <laughs> Right. Robert's cousin. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but Robin has one, we find out that Robin has one, um, you know, respite in this, in this sort of like nasty home life, um, which is studying with the scholars of Ohara. So she lives on the island of Ohara, which is known as sort of like a um, place of learning. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, old town and the song of ice and fire. Yeah. Um, also, considering the Disney slash fairy tale comparison, you know, it's kind. Of, it reminds me of you know they'll like go into the library or yeah. whatever. Obviously, on a much grander scale. Um, yeah, yeah, and the library is a big tree, which is pretty cool. That is um, very cool. So, yeah, uh, we, we we start with Robin finding out that she's become a scholar. She passed the test. The scholar test. Whichever, whatever that is. She got, like, a perfect score or something, and they're celebrating. And so, you know, that's nice for her. We see some of the other scholars. Most of them are, like, adults. I mean, it seems pretty rare that a kid would be able to do as well as Robin has and shows how, right. you know, smart and precocious she is. And, yeah, so she, like, this is obviously, like, her one sort of, like, happy place, I guess you could call it. Um, I think we, this is where we first meet Professor Clover, who's like the head of the library. And I think specifically they're mostly like archaeologists. Right. Um, that study the history of the world. There's a couple things you're not supposed to study. We'll talk about as, that as, a little later. No, um, I mean, and, we can talk about that right now, really. Uh, I mean, we could. That's kind of what, uh, because she wants to know about so Robin, oh, that's right, the she secret does ask library. There. So, yeah. of course, there's like, you know, the restricted section. Right. And any like library in a fantasy thing has to have like, you know, either like restricted or forgotten, you know. And this is most, this is like both of those actually. It's like, yeah. Robin's like, I want to know about the void in history. 
the void century they call it i think Mm -hmm. specifically and so professor glover's like no robin that is the one thing you must never study you know of course and they've mentioned that they have mentioned this but they haven't really like gotten into any of the details i think the most before this they got into it was the end of skypea right but they haven't actually like talked this is the most they talk about it i think up to this point so basically the world government ruled that researching this void in history this 100 years where nobody knew what was going on um nobody knew what knows what really happened in this void of 100 years it's like as if it's like it would be like as if like 1500 to 1600 didn't happen but like we had a record of those years like we knew those years existed if that right. makes any sense um we just don't know what what happened and so this has been declared illegal to study according to the world government which definitely doesn't sound like the world government has sort of a vested interest in keeping this secret or anything <laughs> not suspicious at all um but robin has like found out that the scholars of Ahar are actually researching this in secret and they try to pretend like they aren't, but she knows they are because I guess she can spy. She can like put her eyes on the wall basically and put her ears, you know, through walls and things like that. So we can sort of imagine ways that she might've found this out. Right. And yeah. So, so they tell her like, no, Robin, you can't. And I think she gets sort of like sent away a little bit, uh, sort of, she's a little dejected by this, but you know, it, it, supposedly this is for her own good. I mean, we don't know. We, we can sort of, we can sort of um, imagine what might happen, knowing what the world government is like now, at least what some of the people are like. The assassins of CP9 and Spanda and whatnot. And I think this leads to the scene where she finds um, Saul. Ja- yeah, Saul. Jag- ja- Saul. Jaguar D. D. Saul. Yeah. <laughs> cool name, right? <laughs> very cool. Yeah. And Saul is very cute. He's like a, um, he's a giant. Another design. He yeah. looks like a Muppet. Another- like a confused mental lamp words. Another giant, very good design. Yes, he looks like Fozzie, or not Fozzie. Um, he looks like the ghost of Christmas present in... Wait, no, he doesn't. Fuck, no. You know what? I'm thinking of the red monster from, from Looney Tunes. Yeah, he kind with, of With, like, does. teeth. And yeah. Mouth. Yeah, and like... Mouth. I, actually, now that I think about that, I I don't know. You know, he looks like, he looks like a furry Muppet. You know, yeah. just like... Not anything in specific. <laughs> no, nothing specific. But now that I'm like trying to think of specific examples, the more I'm like, wait, no, he doesn't really look like that. Anyway, you can read the chapter and see what he looks like. But yeah, she finds Saul washed up on the beach and she, uh, they sort of become friends, strike up a little friendship, even though it's like, Saul's like, oh, Saul seems kind of shaken and. Right, like, he just got a giant washing up on yeah, the shore. Yeah, like what happened to you, dude? Yeah. Like. Can giants eat devil fruits? I don't think so. Hmm. Because, like, I was thinking about this today, actually, on the train. I don't know if (laughs) we've ever met one who has. What's that? I don't know if we've ever met one who has. (sighs) No, I don't think so. Because it seems like that would be almost too good. Because, (sighs) yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's been confirmed that they can't. But I think maybe Oda just doesn't want to, like, deal with the maybe the physiological repercussions of somebody with a giant with devil fruit powers. Instead, he just has giant people. 10 foot tall people. Yeah. But not giants, technically. Not giants. Yeah. But so, um, Saul and Robin, Robin's like, you know, sort of lonely. We we sort of have gotten this sense from these very few. I think, I think they sort of, uh, Oda sort of sets this up very, um, 
clearly about sort of like elegantly about Robin's sort of like how she lives and her just sort of what, you know, how she lives her life on this Island being kind of an outcast and like how lonely she feels. And so, you know, Saul kind of sits there and talks with her for a bit and uh, does his funny laugh, which he has, he has a special laugh, which is dare she. A lot of one piece characters have a special laugh. Um, but for once, uh, there's actually a remark, you know, Robin's like, dare she, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, it's like normally when you laugh, you don't like say a word. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how to, it, it, I guess I could like sort of understand why someone would, how someone would laugh weirdly. Sure. Like, like fwahaha or something, but like, this is like, it, this is sounds you would not normally make laughing. I would think. Yeah. Cause it's like dare she, 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 she. Um, right yeah right um so robin notes that as funny and i think they talk a little bit about robin's past and robin mentions her mother to him her mother's name is olvia and that's sort of like he's like wait a minute olvia it seems like he might know who that is yeah but he doesn't really get into it there um so i think after this it i I don't i don't really know exactly i can't say exactly how the scene changes here well well you know there's like a kind of like unspecified passage of time you know she's yeah. she's like you know visiting him as he recovers and right all that. Help giving him food yeah um, um and then that eventually leads to uh we see olvia robin's mother uh and she shows up and returns to ohara yes um and particularly, you know, makes a beeline, not for her daughter, but to the scholars to basically tell them, hey, uh, they the, know what we're doing. Yeah. So they are coming. They are coming. Yep. They like coming. Gandalf said. That's what he is talking about. Talking about Spandine. So, Spandine. We, so we get a new guy. We get a new character. Spandine, the CP9 director of this time period, who has a similar sounding name to someone we know now. I think it's like outright confirmed that his that Savannah is his son. I mean, big, uh, yeah, big surprise. I so. Yeah. So, so the government, uh, actually captured Olvia briefly. I think like, I don't, I don't know the exact time period, but like, you know, they had her for a bit and they found out about O'Hara and what they were doing there and they're on their way to the Island to, uh, deal with it. We don't really know what that means, but Olvia seems to be, very concerned. Very upset about it and seems to think it could be really bad. And I think she's right. Um, yeah, so this is kind of just, this kind of all happens like very quickly, I would say. Um, you know, the Navy gets there. They go make a beeline for the the library. A couple Navy ships. I mean, it's not like the whole army. It's not like the whole of their military force, but right. a, a fair few ships are there. And um Kuzan is also there. Okay, so Kuzan yes, is Aokiji. Is Aokiji in the past? Um, he is not. He's a vice admiral. Uh, yeah. Wait, is he a vice admiral now? Checking my notes. I forgot it was vice admiral Kuzan. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he's not an admiral yet. He will be Aokiji later. He's got cool glasses. Cool glasses. Yeah, pretty cool guy. Um, maybe not very cool now. Well, literally cool because of his powers, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. 
you know, Olvia gets there and like tells them to like, you know, we got it, we got to get out of here. But unfortunately, the the Navy sort of rounds everybody up and gets them out of the library and is basically like has them at gunpoint to like find the evidence that they've been researching the forbidden knowledge. Mm-hmm. And like at this point, Robin's running back there to like find out about it because I think at this point Saul's like, oh shit, I think they like also fo- might have followed me here, and we don't really know why that is yet, but we right. do find out that Saul deserted the Navy. We'll find out why later. Yeah. Um. So he was a he was a member of the Navy. He was like a like a captain or something. He was he was part of their military um, apparatus. Yeah. So like you know they have they, they do find evidence that they were like researching the void century and the forbidden knowledge, and uh, they kind of just confront them there. And Professor Clover comes out. And there's we get, some very interesting. There's some interesting sort of lore kind of dished out and talked about here. So we learn a bit more about the Pongoliths. Pongoliths, yeah. Pongoliths, sorry, they're um, indestructible. They're indestructible, um, and and they have one in that basement. Correct? They have one. Yeah, they found one in the basement. Navy found one, which is like pretty much like a smoking gun. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like they're st- they're studying it. Um. And, you know, they're like, well, yeah, you guys are guilty. And we learned that they were made by a previous kingdom that we don't get the name of. Clover Um, speculates that people from the past made them to preserve a message. And, yeah, that they were made from sort of like a group of people in the past whose existence has been covered up. And, like, you know, the five elders and, 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 like, the heads of government are on the phone right now. Or, sorry, on the snail, I guess, as One Piece goes. And, like, sort of talking about this. And, you know, the five elders are like, well, we can't have you reading Poneglyphs because it can be used to activate the weapon. But Clover's like, well, no, you actually don't want us to know about this because of the existence of the kingdom. And isn't it funny that 800 years ago, when the um, world government was created, that was right after the 100-year void. Um, you know, like it's weird. It's weird that like you know the the the, the void was like right after the world government was created. Yeah, like, it's like I, I like, it's like I don't want to be conspiratorial, but um, maybe the world government had something to do with covering up the void century or that that being a thing. Yeah, and so you know, Clover from this deduces that like, well, these people that made these poneglyphs had an enemy. I wonder if the enemy was the world government. <gasps> <laughs> or at least what would become the world government. What would become the world government. And so basically we know that the void century contains some truth inconvenient, very inconvenient to the world government. Um, and yeah, it, it, all of these, these poneglyphs point to there being like an immense kingdom mm-hmm. uh, that existed long ago. And the most interesting part about this, the part that gets the, the elders to say like, shut him off is Clover is about to say the name of the kingdom and they're like get him kill him you know and so they shoot him before he says the name of the kingdom (laughs) which is apparently very important right could it be perhaps the kingdom of d oh like why else would the why would the name of the kingdom be super important i don't know well so (laughs) i know like nothing about the d we we know who (laughs) made the poneglyphs yeah, the it, people it, of the kingdom. Yeah, 
well, the ancestors of the D. Eventually, recently in One Piece, I think it has been revealed who, what kingdom made them. Okay. Yeah. Um. It's okay. I mean, you can like vaguely spoil it. No, want, I think but... that's like too big. Okay. Um, okay. But there's still a lot that we don't know about. There's like one character who we haven't learned about yet in okay. in our in our readings that is in <laughs> our, is, our scholarly in readings. our scholarly readings yeah who is who is related to the poneglyphs too and okay it i i think it hmm, i don't know it's it's okay like i i really at this point um so i've read all of one piece and like i honestly can't remember i mean i know we learn more about this i know we do but i can't remember at this point anything that i feel comfortable saying at this point yeah um, and I, I don't want to really, get like so far ahead. Um, right. Sure. At this point, I can barely speculate. I would say that obviously we know that the the Shandorans were were ancestors of one of these kingdoms. I think one of these peoples that was were protecting a Ponoglyph, and maybe they were part of the ancient kingdom. Mm-hmm. Probably yes. Right. Well, and we and, also know that like, um, you know, the places that we've like seen Ponoglyphs show up, um, are. I guess like connected to well, I mean we've seen we have the one in Skypea, we had the one in Alabasta, which I think we know maybe we don't know this yet, but this is like not like a huge thing that I think there there were what like twenty kings or twenty kingdoms or something that kind of formed the world government right. at the, the beginning, and the the right. Nefert uh, Nefertaris yeah were one of them. Yeah, we um, learn about a couple others um, later. Yeah, at least one I know. Yeah, but uh, like the nobles of the world. Yeah, so yeah. like the 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 places that we've seen that have them are like connected to the kingdoms from around that time. Right. Yeah. So we we have like a couple different puzzle pieces we could maybe try to. It's like we have a couple puzzle pieces that don't really. Maybe two of them fit, but we have like ten. And, like, they sort of don't even really make a picture at all. Uh-huh. Right. They sort of make the edge, edges of a picture. Yeah. And, and I think at this point, like, we only know, we know about poneglyphs and then real poneglyphs. Right. right? I, they didn't really make that distinction here. No, they, <laughs> they didn't. They just sort of said that. Yeah, I think, they, they talked about it in. Uh, well, the or... real poneglyph is the collection of all of the poneglyphs. Right. Okay, um, that's right. I think. I think that was just sort of a name for like the final poneglyph, which yeah, was, like would for, be a combination of yeah, all. like you know the whole yeah. thing. If you but then there are other collect. types of poneglyphs that we haven't gotten to yet. Right, there's others that like maybe just aren't as important. Some of them maybe are not like the bend all be all. As we found out, I mean, Robin found some that weren't what she was looking for. Right. I, I mean, supposedly, what I'm guessing is that there's one poneglyph that has a whole thing that is the entire Void Century story, which we haven't found yet. I'm guessing that's what she's looking for. Because uh-huh. the one in Alabasta is for Pluton. There's also some that are just like grocery lists and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I, Gold Roger, have delivered this to its destination and gotten my groceries. Um, <laughs> okay, there's one thing I wanted to point out about this scene um, that I noticed in the art that I'd never noticed before. And it's something about the five elders. So if you notice, um, when they're, they're directing back, it's hard to notice but when you see that, when you see the phone that's connected to the five elders, you see shadows. 
of some of them. And I think we've seen their pictures once at this yes, point. In the chapter so. where we saw Doflamingo and um, Kuma yeah. and stuff. You see all of them, actually. You see all their faces. And, and some of them have very distinct facial hair. <laughs> and, like, I, I see in these... Um, in these sort of like the, these pictures with the snail phone, you see some of them in shadows um, talking and one of them. Which, they, so, which so it's chapter all, is this in? This is in the one where Clover uh, is talking about. Okay. Um, one thing I noticed and it made me sort of view, it was just one little thing and it sort of made me view the five elders a little differently. Cause I, I have thought of them as like mostly malevolent. And I think they most, I think they are, but so there's a moment where uh, Clover is about to say uh, the name of the kingdom, as I said. And then, you know, one of them says, just do it. Uh, you know, uh, order the buster call. And he has his face in his hands. And I was like, hmm. So at least he felt bad about it. I, I, I It made me sort of wonder about the... Um, uh, it could have just been a thing that Oda decided to just do, like, oh, I can't believe we have to do this. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to like uh, be ap- apologia for um, genocide here, <laughs> but it did make me sort of wonder, like, is there a little bit of moral ambiguity to these five elders, at least? You know what I mean? Like, actually, actually, the reason why his face, his face was in his hands, is because of Shigaraki. <laughs> Come on, I was just trying to, I thought it was interesting, and I, I didn't never noticed it before, and I thought I thought this must be deliber- a deliberate choice. Because yeah. it didn't really seem like they cared at this point. They were just like, uh, you know, you need to stop this now. But right. it seemed like there was some sort of, like, you know. I, I never, from, I haven't I haven't read all of. It makes I, me, I'm the, yeah. only, I'm the only person on the podcast now who hasn't uh, read all of One Piece. Um but like you know, I never got the vibe that the um, world government was malevolent for malevolence' sake. Right, but they so, some of them seem really. Na- I mean, sort of the lower down. Sure, guys. some of them. Um, um, it's it's very like Oppenheimer. Yeah, you know, and like a sort of like again, oh, you know, I, I guess we have to do it. <laughs> right, I feel bad I, about I, it. I don't want to be that person that's like excusing it. I mean, it's fake, but right. but I I sort of was. Uh, I sort of found that to be interesting um, that he that he chose that. I don't know, especially because it's so easy to miss. Um, so so the, the we don't really get any more about those five elders in this. Um, it's just that they sort of uh, give Spandine the uh, go ahead and uh, is like, okay, do the Buster call on um, on Ohara. Let's wipe Ohara out. And so yeah, they basically start the full scale to sort of eradication of everybody on Ohara. Which is, I mean, ideally they, they mostly just want to kill the scholars so that no one else can study or read the Poneglyphs. That's what about they say, them. at least. That's what they say. Um, and so, like, you know, they're like, there's some evacuation ships leaving. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not related to the scholars, go ahead and, and you know, leave the island. If you're, if you're not here, if you're, if you're still here in a day, um, you're just going to get carpet bombed. I'm sorry. Um, and so the Buster Call does start though which involves like a couple navy ships with all their cannons and guns and it's just like a, you know a total bombardment of a certain area it's metal gear um kind of <laughs> the ability to to like sort of um laser nuke sort of a very specific area like drone bombing kind of 
It's the high seas version of an exterminatus from Warhammer 40k. Sure. Basically. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's sort of, you know, we see some of the scholars trying to, trying to um, save some of the things, and I think in the midst of this, we get sort of the touching moment where Robin does see her mother briefly, and they sort of have a moment, which I think is very touching and sad. Yeah, because at, at first there's the thing of, like, Olvia doesn't want to, like, acknowledge her because she doesn't want her to be implicated and all that. Which... But then Robin get you know, she she's says... She's like, no, you know, I know how to read the poneglyphs yeah, because... Uh, yeah, point, which I was like, it's oh, too late. God, no. Because yeah. she just wanted to make her proud, you know, and, and it's like, oh, you had to say that in front of them? Oh, God. You know, this guy, clearly the Spandian guy is okay with killing children, I would assume. Um... Yeah, and so, like, they get a little moment, but, I mean, you know, Robin just basically told her mom, she's like, I wish I could go out to sea with you and go exploring and, you know, studying archaeology. That would be the best. Alas, it is not to be. Alas. And Olvia stays with them to help try to save the uh, books, and Robin is told to flee. And she kind of gets caught up with Saul again. Saul mm. deserted when he found out they were basically going to destroy O'Hara, which right. they had decided to do, I think, before they even went. And, and not only did he desert, but he is the, he, before Olvia was in custody, um, as her, like, team of researchers was, like, caught mm-hmm. um, at sea. And he, upon learning this, um, Freed her. Freed so her. So not, not just deserted himself, but he's freed. A tra- yeah. He's basically a traitor yeah. to the world government. Right, which and, is how uh, he knew Olvia, Olvia before this. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, it's... So we wonder, like, why was he a D? Um, I think it's probably... And I, the Ds usually play, like, an important role in world history, which, I mean... I mean, Jaguar D. Saw um, dies in this flashback, but <laughs> imagine that dying... Important. Dying in a flashback, but he did basically save the last remnant of the O'Haran scholars. So I think, I think that sort of cements him as being a sort of an important uh, figure in the in the whole history of One Piece, honestly. Um, because as they're escaping, you know, like uh, Saul Saul tells Robin all this, and that you know he she needs to get off the island. But they run into uh, Kuzan, who's like, uh, you you cannot, you know, I'm not going to let you desert. Like he's like, you know, and, and they sort of have this this out a little bit. Um, Saul's like, you can't really you can't really believe that these people deserve to just be murdered. <laughs> and but Kuzan sort of runs the line of like, well, they broke the law. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that that old that old line. And of course, I mean, of course, this is wrong, guys. This isn't right. Um, in case you need us to tell you that. Uh, and so ja- Saul kind of goes berserk. And I think. They don't. They don't actually like get into this, but but Robin eventually gets blamed for what Saul does. Like he's the one that destroys the ships. Like, right. He destroys a couple of ships, and um, I don't think he actually. Well, I guess he might kill some navy people doing that, but like yeah, he destroys some of their property. Uh, but <laughs> before he's able to really do any more, uh, Kuzan kills him. Um, deep with, freezes him. Deep freezes him basically, and uh, you know before he dies. Saul tells Robin that, like, it's okay, you'll find friends out there, which 
I sort of read as just sort of a desperate, like, God, I got to tell this girl something good. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think, I, I sort of read it as like a little tragic. I don't think it was really supposed to be like, he really believed this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm yeah. being killed. I, I, I can't tell her like, it's all shit. Like this guy's probably going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so, you know, and of course he dies laughing, which all these, all Dude, these she, die she... laughing. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Interesting. Um, Ro- Gold Roger died laughing. Yeah. Um, Luffy was laughing on the gallows, and now Jaguar D. Saul died laughing. And will there be other D's Wait. dying laughing in the future? Um, I think I think they are known for dying laughing. I don't know if all of them die laughing. Yeah, there's there's because one now other I just one. thought I of one that dies. <laughs> I think Zach is Zach knows what I'm talking about, and I think I'm wrong. What I said. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. Well, no. I think, I think they a lot of them are known for sort of like laughing in the face of death. Like, yeah, like badasses. Um, that's, that's just a shonen thing. Well, no, but I think it's like I don't know. I I feel like it's been said sort of explicitly at some point. But at any rate, Saul um, gets frozen to death. Um, and but then. Kuzan, so so there's a really good part of this flashback, I think, is probably the best part, where, uh, you know, Robin's, like, running, and, and I forget exactly how she, like, she, she runs into Kuzan again, um, as she, she, well, no, she went back to try to get her mom, and right. then she came back and, and tried to find, like, a boat off when she realized that, like, her mom was basically trapped with the rest of the scholars, and was gonna die there in the library, um, but she finds, uh, Kuzan. I thought, I thought this was immediately after the fight with Kuzan. Well, I mean, he was right there right. when Rob. I mean, he didn't leave when he was killing Saul. Right. Yeah. Right. I but, thought he. I thought he killed Saul and then. Well, no, he Rob sets up something while she's gone. Like he doesn't okay. do all this stuff. Like he, I'll explain. All right. Um, <laughs> he. I think she goes back to try to find like Saul's boat because Saul said he had a boat, mm-hmm. which. Or like a small boat or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, like, that, that's he right. Been, yeah, he wouldn't have been able to fit into this boat that was there. But at any rate, um, she gets there and Kuzan's there, and she's like, "Shit!" <laughs> like he's just sitting there waiting. Um, but he looks, he looks kind of demure. You know, he doesn't seem very angry or anything. And he's like, "Doesn't uh, seem in a kid murdering mood." No, he's like, um, "I can't do this." I mean, he basically just says like, "I'm not going to murder a child." Um, He's like, you know, I, I, you know, Saul died to protect you. I wonder, I wonder what will happen because of this. And so he's like, I'm going to let you go. Um, just get in this boat. I drew a path of ice for you in the water. And if you follow it, you'll get to an island. How convenient. And so Kuzan lets her go. Um, yeah. Even though he, he uh, stood by while they basically killed the rest of the island, he had somewhat of a heart. Yeah, and, uh, and, and this explains, you know, why he kind of has this connection attachment to to Robin, to Robin yeah, that we to... saw previously. Yeah, and so it's not all bad, actually. Right. But I want to talk about real quick, and I don't remember if this happens before this or after. It happens close to when this happens, but we actually get introduced to another character here. So there's another admiral that we find, vice admiral, who is. Uh, called Sakazuki. That's his real name. But his uh, admiral name later on is Akainu. And he's this sort of like really buff looking, tough looking guy, like a drill sergeant. And he is introduced by um, 
firing on and destroying one of the escape ships. Right. That the Navy said, you guys can escape. You know, you guys go and, and don't worry. We won't hurt you if you leave now. He uh, fires on one of them. Whoops. And, um, <laughs> this is a hell of a way to introduce um, one of your characters that's supposed to represent the world government. <laughs> Um, who just who just uh, blatantly fires upon uh, civilians. Um, not that they aren't doing that with O'Hara, but it's somehow even worse when it's like, right. okay, well, we're letting some of you go, but he's just going to kill them anyway. Yep. Um, so that's the first time we see him. We'll see him later. Um, and I think I think this is actually what drives Kuzan to to save Robin. He's like, this is disgusting. Like, <laughs> he's like, I can't abide this. You know, like, uh, I, I can, I can stand by while they bomb the uh, library from far, but uh, shooting on that ship, it's fucked up. And so, yeah, Robin goes and uh, she tries to laugh to herself. We, and and um, we just get like a little montage of her yeah. travels and, and up sort until of when she finally meets up with Crocodile. What she had to do. And of course, Crocodile, it makes sense now why she would, because like, who else is going to help her but the underworld? And right. Crocodile has a vested interest in keeping her safe until they find Pluton anyway. Yeah. And then he tries to kill her, but it doesn't work because, so because one piece. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think Zach said this before we started recording. I think yeah. uh, that this is, this is probably, it's, it's probably the, best flashback so far. I think it's the strongest flashback. Um, I think it's strong narratively. And... I, I think it does a good like dual role of like, you know, establishing pathos for this specific character while also building the world. You know, there's someone should come up with a term for that building the world. <laughs> world building. Um, huh. and, and, you know, setting up things to come. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. It, it does a lot in a, it, at the same time. Um, and like, it's almost impossible not to feel bad for Robin, mm-hmm. like to not yeah. feel for this character. Yeah. The um, emotional core of it is just, it's really so good. chef's kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and... it kind of builds off of like some of the same ideas of like the Nami flashback yes. with, with like the kind of, um, or, or, or kind of like strained relationship with like the mother figure too right um, yeah, right yeah that's and true. like I, having to like go into a life of of crime, crime i guess to survive um yeah yeah I, I think yeah and and the nami flashback i mean just because it happened earlier in the story it just has a little bit less to work with whereas the sure. robin story is kind of standing on the shoulders of giants a little bit i mean it has more sort of to bounce off of and do mm-hmm and I mean, I, I don't think the Nami story is less for that. I just think that the Robin story really, I think it didn't falter um, in sort of delivering the emotional bit and the like hard hitting like lore stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's relatively short too. It's only like. It's pretty short. It's like six or seven chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's really, really good. Um, yeah. Beloved for very, very good reason. Uh, for a very good reason. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is around when we come back to yeah, Wendy's Lobby in the present but, day. Yeah. It's pretty much the end of what we were covering, except for in the same chapter that ends the flashback, you know, there's this, just a really like, you know, to, to use a term that I often use ironically, but meaning entirely sincerely in this case, a very epic moment. It was of, epic. Um, yeah. This where... is like arguably like one of the biggest 
moments it, in the whole series. Yeah, it so, really is. So basically, I, th- I think it's Fandom who says to them, you know, you, you see this flag, you yeah. know, the world government flag, you know, it stands for... And of, like, all the people to say that. Yeah. Like, to say, like, this flag stands for justice. It's for like, for justice and for, for, you know, the union of, like, the nations, you know. You know, this is all the blah, nations blah, blah. of the world under this flag, yeah. And then Luffy... It's it's funny because <laughs> he still thinks it's Sniper King. He says, you know, Sniper King, you know, shoot down that flag. Yeah. And he does with like his exploding star. It's so good. It's really, really it's good. It's so good. Walter and I, I both love did it. We all did we all did the Banderas yeah. meme when yeah. we did, when we read that again. I was like, oh Walter, I'm on the, you know, shoot down that flag, Sniper King. And so like a freaking boss. Like we said, Sniper King shoots down, like sets the flag on fire, and Spandam's like, "Oh no!" Yeah. And then it ends with Luffy saying to Robin, "He's like, Robin, you have to tell us. Like, I know you're lying. Like, you have to tell us you want to live." And there's the famous uh, spread of Robin saying, "You know, you're like, yes, I want to live. Take me out to sea with you." And yeah. They're like, "All right, let's get it." Yeah. Yeah. And so that that is probably one of the It's one of the best moments in One Piece. And, and particularly like that I'd say that is one of the best like single chapters. Yeah. It's hard it it can sometimes be hard to like isolate like individual chapters especially in this kind of format when we're kind of like going through everything in like a big uh burst. But that I can definitely say is like one of the best chapters of One Piece. It is. Probably the best one so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, there might be some better ones coming up later. Gosh, it's just, it's a really high point uh, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the climax of, of Robin's story. And it's also really the, like the starting point for... the And the rest. Yeah, actually. really everything, honestly. Right. And... Um, and yeah yeah because because as as they say you know by attacking this flag you're essentially declaring yeah war on the government you know up until this point you know yeah yeah luffy mm. zoro and then they've had like high bounties but essentially yeah. by doing this they are becoming the enemy public of... enemy number one yeah and the chapter is called declaration of war yes yeah. fucking badass <laughs> um yeah but declaration of war for our friend which how much more shonen could you oh, get beautiful it's beautiful yeah it's really great. We love it. This is the good stuff, everybody. This, this yeah. is love really talking. good. And this, like, this is, starts, yeah. like, a, just a snowball where, like, the next 200 chapters or so are just so good. unbelievable. Yeah, they're really, really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because we're almost, so once mm-hmm. we finish any Slobby, you know, next episode, um, we'll be covering the second half, which is, from what I remember, it's, it's not good. it's not it's as good as this portion that we covered it, it's just kind of like the big fights it's and, fights yeah and, it's yeah. Ma- and mainly like you know the big fight is with rob lucci and rob, rob lucci is a little of, unremarkable but i don't think uh, i think he always was sort of supposed to be not that sure, sort of big sure. and um yeah but after that for me we'll be getting into stuff that's brand new for me so that'll be interesting and Zach, you really you really like um thriller bark right i i do like thriller bark um okay i i think it's good and then after that we get into this um marine bird yeah i guess it's right i guess right after thriller bark is saba odi and then like that like the the series really kind of like takes a shift 
where it's almost like a completely different book for like hundreds of chapters. Hmm. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. It, do, it does feel different uh-huh. um, after uh, they get their next crew member, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I know what you're talking about. I can't really put into words, but I'm sure we'll try to articulate it later. Yeah. But yeah, this, this is just all really great. What we've read... Oh, man, this this whole part is just so good. And I mean, yeah, like the, the, the next part is good. I mean, there's some fun fights. But at the end of this, I too, I think there's some at the very end of Annie's Lobby, there's like the, one of the most emotional moments. Well, there's also yeah. like the post Annie's Lobby arc, which is kind of like oh. broken off into its extra thing. And yeah. anytime there's like a after arc arc, that's or like good. a short <laughs> in between arc. That's where all of the like juicy lore stuff gets dropped. That's right um that's right so mm-hmm. it's like when everybody gets the newspaper you yes. know when the newspapers are dropped off it's <laughs> about to be lit yeah and we'll just go and harden the paint with the um with like the lore jumps and uh just like information about what else is going on mm-hmm. so so yeah look forward to that um Walter, can you tell us which chapters we're gonna, which chapters exactly we're we're reading? Sure. Uh, so we are going to be finishing off the Ennis Lobby arc, as I mentioned, which means that we are going to be going up until chapter uh, four thirty. Uh, so three ninety nine through four thirty to All be right. specific. So roughly thirty chapters. Not bad. Not too much. Uh, just a little bit more than we covered this time. Yep. And yeah. So in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at goodbye to a shoe. I am at Cosmos, of course. And I am at Walker Fox. And then uh, Emily and I will be back in a couple of weeks, uh-huh. uh, pro- probably into the new year. I'm not. I actually still need to figure out when exactly, but they want our yeah, episode <laughs> er- early January at some point to talk about Shonen Jump titles and right. particularly highlighting the end of uh, part one of Chainsaw Man. Oh yeah, so yeah, we should get into that. Deal. Yeah. All right. Thanks for everyone who listened. We'll be back in a bit. Yeah.